Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I hope you've been having a great day. I'm so glad you can spend some time with me this afternoon. I always say that if you can, great. If you can't, make sure you check out the podcast, because we always have the podcast available later in the day, and you can check out what you miss. So glad you were with me today, because I'm very happy to have Ken Harrison back on the program. One of the most unusual resumes of any guest I've ever had on, and I would like to spend a little time talking about it, but he'll probably hate me for doing it, but uh, he is a volunteer chairman and CEO of Promise Keepers, but before that he was with the Los Angeles Police Department after graduating from the Marine Corps, and he also uh, once ran the world's largest commercial real estate valuation firm. What doesn't this guy do? I don't know. Ken, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. Seriously, I, I got to say, your your resume is impressive, and I, I like I like your attitude. You only get one life to live, man. You might as well do everything you love. Yeah, no kidding. All right, I must say, I saw something pretty radical that uh, came regarding Promise Keepers. There's a Christian college that canceled the Promise Keepers event over the stance on biblical marriage. You know, it's funny uh, because we, you and I were already scheduled to talk, but today my entire day has been interviews on that. Oh, I bet. Uh, Yeah. Um, Thanks for not canceling on me, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) You probably probably um, had bigger offers out there, so thank you. (laughs) Um, You know, but it's nice to to talk to someone with that's friendly. You know, it's you get to relax and just just have a conversation. Yeah. we're having a series called daring faith an evening with promise keepers and we're going around to we had our big dallas cowboy stadium event and now we're going to just mega churches all over america to talk to men about the fact that number one you need to stand up for christ you have a calling on your life ephesians 2 10 uh and, and and you need to accomplish it and number two you can't do it by yourself you need to have friendships you need to be discipled and you need to be in a church and um, those two things. And so it's ironic that we were canceled on our daring faith thing because we might have offended somebody. Well, so, yeah, Ken, if I can just read this press release, because this was so shocking to me. It's just a sentence. Um, Belmont University, we can talk about them, can't we? Sure. Yep. A private Christian college in Nashville announced last week it had canceled an event to be hosted by Promise Keepers after the men's ministry released a statement reaffirming its support for the biblical, biological, sexual identity of male and female, man and woman, in the context of marriage. Belmont representatives cited a conflict in values. That's the part that makes me uh, scratch my head going, what's the conflict in values? Yeah, You know what's amazing? I'm pulling up right now on my phone, uh, the another statement they just came out in response to that, which had some really mistruths, uh, very sad. But what are the things they said? And this is amazing. At the very end of their statement, it says, um, 
our belief in the value of each human being, and we are committed to engaging in constructive conversations that demonstrate kindness and seek understanding. We will not knowingly provide a space for any group whose language we believe to lack the same respect. So you talk about leftist, um, arrogant trope. Mm -hmm. I mean, what what we put out was so loving and so kind, but um, affirming that uh, this gender um, ideology is tearing people apart and damaging children. And we affirm what scripture says about homosexuality. And then we affirmed that Christ forgives all who come to him for repentance. And that is love. Love is giving people truth. Um, and so the fact that they canceled us over that is, is amazing. Now you go to their home, their homepage and all it talks about is Jesus and we're training people for Jesus. And then yet you would cancel someone for basic biblical stance. And people ask, well, why does that happen? Well, it's happening with a lot of Christian schools because those homepages are designed for their donors. And their donors are people in their 70s who have a lot of money who don't know what's really going on. So they tell the donors what they want to hear. And then they turn around, they tell our students something totally different. Hmm. How do you know who who's walking with Christ and who's walking with Satan? The one who's walking with Satan is the liar. True. Who says one thing to one person and another to another. And Promise Keepers, you know, I, I just had an interview that was somewhat hostile and actually really disarmed the interviewer by saying, he said, what do you say to gay people out there who are disenfranchised, who are hurting? And I said to him, I, I say to them that Christianity and the truth of Christ is the most accepting, loving thing that there is, that Jesus Christ accepts all who repent and all are sinners. Ephesians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 6 says, don't be deceived. The sexually immoral, adulterers, idolaters, practicing homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, slanderers, drunkards, and swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so are many of you, but you've been washed You've been sanctified. You've been justified by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. So what they're Paul saying, a lot of you were all those things. If I'm a loving person, I'm going to give you the truth. If I know my friend to be a drunkard, then I'm going to go to him and say, look, the Bible says right here, if you're a drunkard, that you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I love you. And so I want to say, we need to do something about your alcohol problem. We need to bring it to Christ who will forgive you because I want to see you inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that's the same of every other sin on that list. That is what love is, is to give the whole truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you instead say, oh, you you said something that I disagree with, therefore, I'm going to take the moral ground, high ground and say, well, I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Man, you know, <laughs> Jesus' baptism, the beginning of his, his ministry in Luke, he gets baptized and John the Baptist looks at the people who came to be baptized with him and says, you brood of vipers, repent. It doesn't sound very unoffensive to me. We we need to to lovingly but directly give people the truth of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. People outside the faith, I can see saying things like that that you are, you know, being a hater and you know you're sure. you're not being loving. But people inside the body of Christ, I would think, would have a solid biblical understanding of God's word. And there would be those foundational boundaries of which you have this biblical literacy that you could understand what you guys are are sharing. Isn't that sad, Bill? I, I said, you know, we were in Dallas Cowboy Stadium and they all welcomed us with open arms. So apparently our values are aligned with Dallas Cowboy Stadium, but not with a Christian college. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Ken Harrison, are they are they spinning? Are they trying to... Uh, yeah. They're saying are they trying to make it look like they're they're trying to save face now, or are they are they doubling down? What, what's going on? So I had a very um, 
first of all, people will say, why did you put out that statement? We did it for Pride Week. And the reason, one of the reasons is because one of the foundations of Promise Keepers is we're here to teach men how to respond to questions in our times. And so we were giving men a biblical and godly way to respond to people because this is a major issue. It's hard to get away from anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's why we put it out. It was not combative. It was very loving, as I said. Um, Second, even in regards to this, we had a signed contract. We were on their website to sell sell tickets. And two days before tickets went on sale, they canceled us over this. So we were out a lot of money and and, and put mud on our face because we were getting massive calls and emails like, what what happened? I, I was going to buy tickets and where are they? And what did you do? Of course. Um, so we tried to contact the university and we were shined on for a while. And finally, um, I talked to a vice president there last Tuesday. And it was a very good conversation. And she said she'd been praying about it all day. And she said, wow, I, this conversation was went much better than I thought. And I said to her, I want no confrontation with you. I want no conflict. I really um, would would like to have this be a friendly resolution. But I have to make a statement because people want to know what's going on. Help me make a statement. I said, would you, would you guys get back to me and let's work something up together so that we don't cause you problems. But I am going to be truthful. And also, I said, I would like to have a conversation with your students. Let's get our board members. We have some very high-level board members. Let's get them on stage and have your students ask questions, and let's have a bunch of Christian leaders answer those questions about this issue. She said she would get back to me, and I reiterated, I need to hear her back to me right away. I got to get something out. And then they just promptly ignored us. And so finally on Monday, we said, well, we got we to get something out. And so we did. Now they're spinning, and uh, it's unfortunate. And now I'm being asked for a response and I'm saying, look, I'm not going to get into a tit for tat over this. This, Mm -hmm. People don't need to see Christians, you know, working stuff out in the press. And so uh, we'll say something It won't take on their spin fully. I'll just be gracious. And, but we're not going to let this drop because this is very sad and it's happening. This isn't about Belmont. It's about a lot of these supposed Christian schools all over America who are not People are sending their kids to these schools and they're sending million dollar checks to these schools thinking that kids are getting taught the scripture. They're not. And people need to know that there are great. There are some great Christian schools. Liberty. Awesome. My daughter went there. Colorado Christian, Arizona Christian. University University. of Northwestern, (laughs) which is where we are. Another. Is that right? Oh, yeah. We broadcast out of the University of Northwestern in in, uh, St. Paul. Awesome. Christian college. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. So there are some great ones. Mm-hmm. No, there are some great ones. I was just talking to my program manager today, and we were talking about the the uproar over over this. And there was the idea that I said to him that the the definition of marriage has been changed. That's why there's so much uproar as well. We have to wake people up, Bill, that part of being a true follower of Christ and being holy is understanding that you will invite hatred and you will have enemies. And we, we do tend to worship the God of comfort and security um, in our country. And it really has permeated the church. And we have to be willing to, I cannot tell you um, where we stand up on Twitter, we say things and I get horrid threats and people saying they hate me. And I'll get a bunch of Christians that will private message me. I support you, brother. You keep going. Why are you private messaging me? Say that to the whole group, you know, but they don't want to, they don't want anybody to be angry with them. Mm -hmm. This is part of standing up for truth. We have been spoiled in this country for a long time as our Judeo-Christian values have have basically allowed us to escape. But now as we become a non-Judeo-Christian nation, Christians are getting barraged with stuff 
when they stand up for Christ. And we're just challenging people, you've got to take a stand. And that means sometimes people are going to say mean things to you on social media. Jesus says, beware when everyone speaks well of you. Beware. (laughs) Great point, Ken Harrison. Let me take a little break. If you have a question or comment, let me know, 877-933-2484. Ken Harrison is the CEO of Promise Keepers. And if you just joined the program, uh, he was canceled recently, Promise Keepers, at a Christian college. They were very clear in their uh, support for the biblical um, definition of male and female, a man and woman in the context of marriage. And the university said, uh, no, we're canceling you because of a conflict in values. This is a Christian university. How does that work? We'll take a little break. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. I'm back with Ken Harrison. He's the CEO of Promise Keepers, and he has had one busy day, and I'm glad he kept his promise to be on the show today. There's a fair amount of uproar going on in his world right now because the Promise Keepers was scheduled to be uh, in at a private Christian college in Nashville doing an event, and they got canceled because the college said that we have a conflict in values because they released a statement reaffirming its support for biblical, biological, sexual identity of male and female, man and woman in the context of marriage. Apparently that conflicts with a Christian uh, college's values. So Ken, if I was at this event and if it did happen, as you discuss biblical manhood and the difficulties of navigating the tension between our Christian identity and the identities of the culture in which we are living, what would be some of the counsel and, and wisdom we would get from that event? The event will be three hours long, and it and it will be very different. Um, there will only be two speakers. It'll be like a bunch of live podcasts. The music will be very serious. Somebody with a piano or a guitar leading in hymns and 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 reverent songs, not nice. a bunch of fog machines and skinny jeans. Um, and we will have a <laughs> don't a, make me a laugh. Men, <laughs> we're gonna have a men's choir there. This is gonna be a great night of just arming men. And I I, I say it's men talking to men like men. Nice. And one of the things we have to understand, and you and I talked about my book, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World, last time. And one of the things in that book is it talks about Jesus giving us the road to holiness. Jesus says, you really want to earn all the gifts and crowns I have for you. And here's the way to do it. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, here's the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. And that is, blessed are the poor spirit means when I finally realize I bring nothing to the table for my salvation except for the sin that nailed Jesus to the cross, as Jonathan Edwards said. And then he brings us down all all the way through, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When he gets to the very end, the last of the Beatitudes, this is when we know you're holy. Blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you. Rejoice, great is your reward in heaven. So the idea here is when you said the prayer and you became saved, you became born again. Now it's time to grow. And there is a mission for you to accomplish, Ephesians 2.10 says, that we were created for good works that were prepared at the beginning of time for us to accomplish. Will you or won't you? The Bible is filled, choose life or choose death. Choose um, the, the spirit or choose the flesh. 
And so that's what we're going to be there to challenge the men. Are you going to stand up and be a man to be counted or are you not? Because right now, too many are, are nots and they're waiting for guys like Bill Arnold and Ken Harrison to run out there and say things while they sit in their, in their house and complain and say someone should do something. No, you do something. So that's really where we're at. And I think we're starting to see that as a culture, a Christian culture, like the, the idea of just sitting around and doing nothing, um, those times have come to an end. I understand a lot of men say, I don't get a lot of value at a church. Well, that, that may be when you look at a lot of churches. So find a church that you get value out of. And by the way, you be the value. Hmm. Don't show up and say, what do you have for me? Show up and say, what can I give? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How can I serve? So when you are in these conversations and the name calling starts and people are coming after you and assaulting you and your character and, uh, you know, the name calling, how do you deal with all that? <laughs> you know, being an LA cop uh, <laughs> during Rodney King, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's only the JV coming after me compared okay. to those days. Yeah. I, I was uh, getting, my wife was reading all the death threats I got once, uh, uh We'd lit up Twitter and people were, you know, who is this guy? Where's he live? We're going to get him. We're going to kill him. Who's he, you know, on and on. And so my wife was reading to me and I was sitting there laughing and she says, aren't you the least bit worried about any of these things? And I said, I said, baby, the guys who are writing these things are sitting in their underwear, screaming at their mother for their meatloaf. (laughs) These are not serious people. These are not Navy SEALs who are getting ready to come after me. Right. Yeah. We have to understand what's really going on. And, and, blessed are you when people rejoice it says great is your word in heaven i'm right great as long as i'm being persecuted for being loving and truthful and giving god's word then if that makes people go crazy jesus says rejoice yeah and so i do rejoice and, I, and i'm not going to quit yeah right ken how would you offer uh, guidance to men on how to respond to the current gender identity crisis so that's part of the issue is you have to know what to say which means you have to know scripture. So one of the things we've done is we've developed this app. We've got about 55,000 guys on it now, and I expect we'll have many millions. It's a way of getting men biblical content and also getting them into relationship. We're saying, get on the app. There are literally hundreds of thousands of, of conversations strings you can get into about all kinds of issues. There's all kinds of amazing content we have on there and, and get some friends and get some discipleship and find out, Again, you need to be in a godly local church and you need to be leading your family. I mean, I was just talking to a woman who is a great leader. I love her dearly in the church. And she said she can't even get her husband to go to church. Like she says he just gets, gets no value out of it. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, we even have evangelical leaders whose husbands can't, don't go to church. So we have got to get into a body of believers. We really swallowed the lie that we don't really need any friends, that we're all on our own. And unless we stand together, unless we have friends, we're isolated. And when you're isolated, you're open to all kinds of attacks from the evil one. And you don't have a support group to to hold you up. Your wife is a great person to have, but you need male friends. Mm-hmm. Right so- now we have too much of the, um, the, you know, it's okay. I, you, you failed, get up, you know, it, it's, it's okay. Everyone loves you. And that's great. We do need that. But sometimes you got to go stop your whining and get up and get to work. Right. You know, we, we need both. Yeah. And we have too much of the feminine and not enough of the, the masculine. We need a mother and a father. And sometimes men got to go, okay, you had a bad father. Okay. You had a bad childhood. We, we got it. And, and it's sad. And now what are you going to do about it? Right. I mean, there, you also need that too. Yeah. So Ken, why, 
why is some of these secular venues being so welcoming to you? And then you run into a, a Christian university that says, uh-uh, do you find that might be happening in the future? More you know, it's amazing. And I think that that is going to stop too. I, I honestly, um, I just think the Christian universities are actually further ahead um, in their hypocrisy. Wow. But, um, and you know, I, I think, um, you know, universities have endowments and they have sometimes massive amounts of money. And so they're not as concerned on some of this and they'd rather not have their students up in arms and have demonstrations. Cause you know, Belmont kicked us out, but they kicked Charlie Kirk out two months before us. So they didn't want the problem. A lot of secular venues understand that they, their God is money and sure. they're happy to take our money. I mean, when the promise keeper shows up, we bring a lot of money. You know, you bring men who show up and they spend money in hotels and, you know, we had 30,000 men at Dallas Cowboy Stadium. That's a, that's a lot of money that comes into that local community. So I do believe that's why they've been more accepting. But I also think if we don't start standing up, those venues will begin to close as well. Mm-hmm. So how can we be praying for you? You know, um, thanks for asking that. Yeah. Wisdom. You know, James 1.5 says, if, you, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask his father in heaven who gives generously. These are really tough times because it's very important for someone like me that I'm not just speaking to the choir. Um, but at the same time, I, how, how are you really, people are looking for Christian leaders for that with two things. I was just talking to a good friend of mine yesterday, a mega church pastor. And I said, you know, they need men who number one, they know won't back down. They're, they're not going to find me, you know, with my hat in my hand and my head down going, if I have apologized to anybody, I'm, I'm so sorry. Or, you know, if I offend anybody, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Number two, they need to find men who are not involved in sexual sin. Mm-hmm. People are tired of Christian leaders, uh, this, and I've, I've said, you know, I guarantee you, I'll never quit and you'll never find me in any sexual sin. So I think that's fine. I think we have that down. But what I need now is the savvy and the wisdom to be able to speak in a way that people will hear the gospel because my message tends to be, what about what the Bible says? Don't you understand? I love that. And that's great for some people. Yeah. But there are youth right now who just don't accept the Bible. And so how can we make sure we stay relevant in these times without ever compromising the truth? And that takes a great wisdom. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what I would, I would really ask for people's prayers on. Ken Harrison, you're my kind of guy. No, thanks, man. Yeah, really enjoy this uh, time with you. And we will pray. I will pray, James 1.5. And I'm going to ask my listeners to do it as well. And there's there's a war being waged against uh, against the Christian faith right now. So men you have to You keep the faith up. up there, man. You're not exactly in uh, the Bible about yourself. So. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, have a good rest of the day. And thanks for what you're doing. Thanks, man. All Go right. Vikings. Go Vikings. Amen. All right. Ken Harrison's with my guest, CEO of Promise Keepers. We're going to take a little break. Hey, say, have you gotten ready for the Day of Forgiveness yet? That's coming up on Wednesday, June 28th. You can text the word FORGIVE right now to 877-933-2484 and start getting short texts designed to encourage and help you on your journey to forgiveness. After a short break, Beverly Canaris is going to join me. We're going to talk about what does God look like in the Old Testament.
You know, I thought we'd pick a simple, easy topic today. Why not? <laughs> and, and the question is, what does God look like in the Old Testament? Does the Bible in the Old Testament tell us what God looks like? I think that's our topic today. Beverly Canaris is my guest. She's here with me in studio. Bev, you've got some work to do today. Oh, man, it, it is a curious question, isn't it? What it, does God look like? Yes, it is. I've been fascinated with this topic for about two years now, so I've been noting as I go through the scriptures um, different scenes where God seems to reveal part of himself anyway. Um how do we answer that question? Does God show us what he looks like? Well, I think that's a yes and no answer. <laughs> yes and no is the answer. But we need to look at Scripture to really kind of get to the bottom of that answer. Exodus 33 says, now this is God speaking to Moses, who has asked to see God and his glory. He said to him, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Okay, that's pretty clear. That's very clear. So what are we going to talk about for the next half an hour? I don't know. Uh, All right, let's go on. John, in the New Testament now, 1, 9, says, No one can see God but the only one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So again, no one can see God except the Son. And then 1 John says... Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have their hope in this will purify themselves just as he is pure. And then also in John four twenty four, we learn God is spirit, so we must worship in spirit and in truth. So spirit is not seen. So we got to wrestle through some of those verses and think about what is happening in these scenes. So we're going to go and we're going to look at different scenes in the Old Testament where these people, individuals, were having visions of God. And I believe that these visions really are more partial manifestation of God that reveals to us in pictures who God is, and what he is like. So we're going to look at some of these just briefly. We're going to go through a a list of them here and just glean what we can from this mystery, really. There's a lot of mystery in this, um, especially in the Old Testament, where we can learn about God. And also we're going to learn about ourselves from these scenes. Now, some have said that there's 11 different appearances of God in the Old Testament in some form of a vision like this. Now, there may be more. When you start to count the theophanies, which is a big word for just means the pre-incarnate, another big word, Christ. In other words, when Christ made appearances before he took on human form. Okay. And so there are some of those as well. So let's look at um, a few of these scenes, if you will, and try to picture this. It's in words, but we can picture it because our minds will take us there. The first, we're going to start in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, um, they have just eaten the forbidden fruit. You can picture that. And then Mm -hmm. the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I love that picture. I know, because he (laughs) probably didn't like humidity. Probably. Cool of the day. Probably. He was out for his evening stroll. But you think of that walking in the garden. Uh, How do we wrap our head around that? Exactly. Exactly. What does this mean? Um, so, but they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. So obviously, they they had some way of knowing that God was seeing them. 
But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. All right, so what do we learn about God from this? This kind of vision that's happening. First, the text says that they only heard God. So that's interesting to me. Yet to me, the fact that he was heard insinuates some sort of physical manifestation. But I can't be sure. You know, it does. It isn't specific. Mm-hmm. So what we learn about God, what do we learn about him here who walks in the garden is this. First of all, God is enjoying his creation and he's seeking fellowship with his greatest creation, mankind. What a beautiful picture that is, that common, everyday walking together in the garden fellowship. But when we sin, we lose that intimate fellowship, and we can only restore it again by a mediator who is the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, and that is the gospel. Explain that, if you would. I would love to explain that, because what happened is at this sin, uh, this was where sin was introduced into the world, that the relationship, this, this relationship between God and man was broken, and they will be asked to leave the garden. And the only way that God could cover their nakedness, which is really a symbol of their guilt and shame of sin, is that he had to kill animals, and he had to shed the blood of animals. He provided skin of animals to cover them. And you know what? God has provided for us a blood sacrifice to cover our sin as well. And the sacrifice was, we know, the one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a beautiful picture that tells us a little bit about um, what God, if we want to picture God walking in the garden, seeking us. So I wonder, are you one who is saying, is God saying to you, where are you? Where are you? Is he seeking you? And how are you going to respond? That's the big question. Isn't it? Yeah. We all have to answer that. Yeah. So, Bev, let's just say, for instance, there is somebody just got triggered by hearing that. And they're thinking, Bev's talking about me right now. What do I do? I would say, start talking to him. Acknowledge him that he's there. Acknowledge that you have a need for him and that you want to hear from him. Mm. And then I would get yourself a Bible because if you want to hear him talk, man, he's got a whole book filled with words just for you. And he's also showing his love for you and his desire to want to be in relationship with you. What if they're at a point, though, of wanting to place their faith in him? I think at this point, point, I think that they, they, don't close your eyes if you're driving, you would in your mind say, Lord Jesus, I am that person. I am hiding from you Mm -hmm. because of my sin. But I see that you seek me out and want to have fellowship and a relationship with me, Lord. Would you this day cleanse me by the blood of Jesus Christ, your son, so that that relationship that was broken by my sin and that guilt and that shame could be taken away by that sacrifice for me? And say thank you and get get a Bible. Amen. Start reading. That's beautiful. Well, let's go on to another scene. This is Jacob, one of Isaac's son. He's running away from his brother. He's alone in the wilderness. He's he's having a dream. And in the dream, he sees a ladder set up on the earth. And at the top, it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac. So what do we learn about God from this picture? Here he is standing at the top of the ladder, and angels are going up and down this ladder. Well, we learn that he knows about us, again, that knowledge and that seeing us, and he knows where we are. Jacob was alone in the wilderness. 
He also gives us promises when things seem so dark. Jacob was at a very difficult point in his life. He was running away. He didn't know what was ahead for him. He didn't change Jacob's circumstances, but he did assure him of his presence in this vision, that he was working for good. Now, the ladder has been a favorite of people using it as an illustration, you know, climb the ladder to God. However, that's not the right ladder. Jesus has referred to this vision from Jacob, and he stated that he was the ladder, and the angels were descending and ascending on him. Jesus is the way to God, not working one rung at a time to get to God. Jesus is the way. So when we confess him, just like what we just talked about, um, we can have heaven and eternal life with him. You know, Bev, when you think of world religions, they all teach you how to get close to God. And Christianity comes along and says, this is what God did to get close to you. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. He's the ladder. I love that picture. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. He, he connects us with God and with heaven. He is the path back from that broken relationship. Mm-hmm. Beverly Canaris is my guest. We are talking about what does God look like in the Old Testament. And so far, this is uh, fascinating. And we're always asking, um, where are you in your walk with the Lord? If you mm-hmm. just tuned in, uh, today's a great day. Today's a great day to place your faith in the living God and to be forgiven. Anyway, let's go. Let's move on, Bev. Oh, I, I, that's hard to move on from that. That's it. That's our that, message. That's that's... But let's talk about Moses for a minute. Okay. He, he had several occasions to have somewhat of a vision here of God. Moses, of course, was used of God to emancipate God's people, Israel, from their slavery in Egypt. And he's leading them to the promised land, and they get to Mount Sinai, and God calls them to pause their journey in order to give them some law. Um, so God calls Moses up on a, on the mountain, and he gives Moses the Ten Commandments and other laws for the people to have a healthy, safe, God-honoring society. Okay, so Moses, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders are on this mountain, and it says in Exodus 24, 9, and 10, they saw the God of Israel. What they saw is described like this from verses 10 and 11. Under his feet was something like a pavement of lapis, as bright as the sky, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, they ate, and they drank. So I wonder, did they see the face of God? Did they? Or did they just get a glimpse of the floor of heaven, of of some uh, vision of that? I think this was enough of a vision of God for them to feel like they indeed did see God. God was forming a people and a nation at this point. He gave them a glimpse to encourage their leadership of the people as they led them to follow God. You know, if your faith is not real to you, you will have no faith to pass on to others. So I think he gave them this vision as a as a, a faith builder in order for them to share that with the people. So we're calling it a vision. Calling it a vision. Okay. Yeah. That, that I understand. Yeah, we're calling it a vision. And what exactly was in that vision? They only describe they only describe the pavement really, mm-hmm. and that that they saw God. So yeah. I feel like it's you know kind of looking up and just seeing the floor of it was enough uh, to to really. Uh, get an awe-inspiring view of God. Now, Moses had other encounters with seeing God, um, this time by himself. Uh, he, first of all, Moses had a place called the Tent of Meeting, and he would go into this Tent of Meeting, and Moses would pray there, and a cloud would come and manifest as God's presence there. And Scripture says that he talked to God face to face, which is really more of an open communication 
rather than a literal literal face-to-face. I think this really teaches us and many more places in the Bible that God desires communication with his people. We can be face-to-face with the Lord daily. Are we taking advantage of this privilege? Face-to-face, yes. Uh, The next scene, Moses going up the mountain again, Moses asks for God to show him his glory. So the Lord answers Moses by saying, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. He goes up, but... You cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. And live. So the Lord hides him in the cleft of the rock. God's glory passes by. And then he says, you can turn around and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. So what do we learn about God here? Well, we cannot see the face of God until we receive the completion of our salvation in Christ. In other words, when we are glorified upon entering the eternal kingdom, we will be changed by seeing him. But in the meantime, we may not see his face here. Um, We are hid in that cleft of the rock by faith in Christ, waiting for the day when we can see him fully. Bev, what do you think when people tell you regarding some prayer initiative? And they say, (laughs) we need to go seek the face of God. Mm -hmm. What do you what do you hear when you say when you hear that? When I hear seeking the face of God, I hear um, come to him personally. Because if I come to you wanting to see your face, I'm coming to you personally. Okay. I like uh, that. On my own accord, I'm coming to you um, uh, as I would another person face to face. I think that really c- communicates an intimacy and a c- of communication. Um, right. You know, because it's one thing to send a text, it's another thing to sit here and look in your face. Yeah. Right? Yeah, maybe we go to break right now and I Perfect. can complete my coughing fit. Yes. And then we'll come back. Uh, Beverly Canaris is my guest. We're talking today about what does God look like in the Old Testament. If you have a question or a comment, let me know. 877-933-2484. Be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. When I pray, I love to go to God's Word and pray back to the Father. I love to go in Psalm 103, where I start by praying, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I always think if I start talking to God with his words, I let him start the conversation. That's always the way that I love to pray. Praying together at MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. Beverly Canaris is my guest. She was a teaching leader at Bible Study Fellowship for around 35 years. And she also hosts, co-hosts a podcast called She Is Becoming. So we're talking today about what does God look like in the Old Testament. Some great illustrations. Gives us lots to think about, Bev. It sure does. Yeah. And, I, you know, not a lot of conclusive answers. But I will say this. They're consistent. These pictures of this, th- there's a throne. There's lights, mm-hmm. there's glory, there's color, um, there's an awesomeness, there's usually fire. 
lots of light and lots of attendance. And you you see this consistent picture throughout Scripture. Let's talk about Isaiah. That one a lot of people are familiar with. We find his vision in Isaiah chapter 6, and it's often referred to as God's call to Isaiah to be his prophet. And here's what he saw. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were those flying creatures that constantly call out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The temple shook. It was filled with smoke. Isaiah responds by saying, Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Again, I feel like the direct view of God and his face was veiled by this smoke and by this train of his robe. The angel goes and gets a hot coal from the altar, touches Isaiah's lips, giving him some cleansing. Again, fire, cleansing, judgment. God then says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah responds, here am I, send me. God says, go and tell these people. So an interesting fact here is that in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, uh, it says, Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus and spoke about him. So what is it that we learn about God from Isaiah's vision? Well, we learn that Jesus is on the throne. John gives us that. He is, he is also God. He rules in sovereignty. We learn that God calls specific people to speak for him and that we do need to be cleansed of sin in order to be a clean vessel for his use. It was dark days in the days of Israel. Uh, the death of Uzziah, the king, had died. This shows us to look up when things seem hopeless. God is on his throne. We needn't be hopeless. Look up when we're feeling like that. Isaiah was exposed before God, and so are all of us. When we meet him face to face, we will not have excuses, do you think, Bill? Nope. No, we won't. And we won't have questions, I don't think, either. It will all be answered. When we encounter God, we will also encounter our sin that must be dealt with. And that happens in this world, Lord, where the Lord will meet us and he will show us where we have fallen short. And you know what? This is a good thing. Don't dread it. Don't run from him. Don't run from this experience that God is calling you to confess your sin, grieve your sin, confess your sin, repent of your sin. There is cleansing for you in the hot coal of Christ's sacrifice of blood on your behalf. We also learn that as we encounter God, we will be willing then to go on God's behalf wherever he sends us with his message. Well, Ezekiel also saw uh, this vision of God. And in Ezekiel 1, he describes it like this, the likeness of a throne as the appearance of sapphire stone and the likeness as the appearance of a man above it. It has a very lengthy description of this throne room scene included were heavenly strange-eyed creatures, fire, burning coals. The throne is described as being like lapis. The future, uh, the, the figure like a man was dressed in glowing metal full of fire, brilliant light surrounding him. The appearance of a rainbow was liked all around him. Well, Ezekiel responds like Isaiah did. His response is he hits the deck face down. So what does this picture, what do these things represent about God? Well, the precious stone represents his invaluable worth and beauty. The appearance of a man, Christ. Worship is constant. There's fire because God is judge and pure and like nothing else. There's brilliant light because God is light. Truth is light. God is truth. And our response, we're to fear the Lord. And by fearing the Lord, I don't mean afraid of the Lord. I mean 
honoring, respecting, falling down before him, giving him the glory and honor that's due him. Ezekiel had a similar vision in chapter 10 as well, and we see such consistency in these visions. Yeah, we do. It really, um, and wait till we, I'm going to talk on the New Testament visions of God another time, Bill, and and you're going to see the same consistent look in the New Testament. Nice, nice. Well, Daniel really is the final prophet of today, and we see his vision is especially thrilling to me. I've been doing a lot of study in Daniel and teaching on it in the podcast, and we, in in some of these chapters, we have such beautiful visions that Daniel had. Again, he Daniel sees that God is on a throne. He sees a throne. In fact, he sees thrones. Interesting. The Ancient of Days, as he's called here, takes his seat. His clothing and hair were white as snow, again, representing that purity. His throne was flaming with fire. In fact, a river of fire. Think about this. A river of fire flows out before him. Countless thousands are worshiping him. A court is called and the books are opened. This is the courtroom of God's justice being executed. And there's a similar vision in Revelation we'll talk about next time. Daniel sees a beast being stripped of his authority and was thrown into a blazing fire. And then Daniel looks again and sees this. Before me was one like a son of man, coming with clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and all peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." A lot of Daniel, his prophecies are about these kingdoms that are all going to fade away. One comes after another, they all fade away. But then it's contrasted with this everlasting kingdom of the Son of Man. You know, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man most frequently. And this was because the Jews would have understood that to be that he was claiming to be Messiah. This was a messianic title that was to be given to him. So what do we learn about God here from this vision in Daniel? Well, first of all, the Son of Man is God reigning with God the Father. There's a trinity in our God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus has a kingdom that is unlike any earthly kingdom in that his is everlasting. All countries, all kingdoms come and go, leaders come and go, Christ is will be everlasting and have that everlasting kingdom. And here's the good news, Bill. And you can be part of this eternal kingdom by receiving Christ as your Savior and Lord. You can have an everlasting, glorious future reigning with Christ if you will come to him. So what consistent pictures we have here. I think that there's an important message that we're left with. And that message is that God's word is true. And that God is very consistent in how he's going to reveal himself here through the word. Um, And that when he speaks, his word is truth. Um, And we can count on that. And I think that um, having these visions of who God is gives us a proper attitude towards him, his word, towards what our future is going to be, and where we're going to be living eternally. To think of that awesome picture of God on his throne, we will see it. Mm -hmm. We're going to see it, Bill, and that's awesome. 
Awesome. So listeners, I I hope you feel encouraged in learning all that these visions can teach us about God. He's showing us through these visions important things about himself. You know, Bev, one of the verses that comes screaming into my head is 1 Timothy 6.16. And I I know you know this one. uh, Who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. What a great verse to kind of bring, you know, tie a bow on this, what we've been talking about. Yeah. He, he is so awesome. He lives in unapproachable light. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And I think we need to listen to him then, don't you? Oh, yeah. Is anyone else like him? Is there any other God like him? No. No. No, there's no peer. There's not even close. <laughs> no. No. Awesome. Yeah. He awesome. is the way, the truth. And the life. Yeah. Unapproachable light. No one comes to the Father but by Him. Yes. So if that's where you are at a place today and you are thinking, I've heard this message many, many times and I have never made a decision to follow Jesus, you can do that today. Can't you, Bev? You sure can. And I hope that this will, um, as as we talked about these pictures of God and his son, the son of man on the thrones. I, I hope that that picture um, drops your heart into an attitude of reverence for him mm-hmm. and an attitude of submission to his will and his call on your life. He wants to be in relationship with you. That really sums up the Bible for me. Yeah, it's fantastic. God, we lost that fellowship with God. He wants it back. He wants it back. Pretty simple. Yeah. Isn't it simple? It is simple. It is simple. Why do we overcomplicate this? Um, because we, it's too good to be true. <laughs> we just think there's got to be more. Yeah. There's got to be more. We're so used to, we get old Americans, we're trying to work our way to yeah. everything. But that, we make it about ourselves. Absolutely. We always make it about, well, what do, I, what do I really have to do? Right, right. And then you start putting yourself through all these little tests. Yeah, God, that almighty God on his throne has yep. done it for us. Mm-hmm. So great is so his good. love. So good. Bev, thank you so much. Been, thank that's you, a Bill. great study. All right, Beverly Canaris has been my guest. We're going to take a break, and then Hour 2 is just ahead. And you know, I love Hour 1. I love Hour 2. Hour 2 is going to be Jeff Verdorn. We're going to continue our study in 1 Thessalonians. If you've missed any of this study, it's really good. So grab a Bible, open it to 1 Thessalonians, and let's get a piece of paper and maybe a pencil, because that's the best way to study God's Word. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.